0: You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by Pastor of Next Generations, Mark Hockley. It's a beautiful sight seeing all those kids take off. That's not what I meant. Oh, it's going to be a rough crowd today. All right. I cut my pants a little here. Well, good morning, everyone. It is a privilege to be with you, and I'm excited to uh, be able to worship with you all together and to, to dig into God's word together. Today we're going to be in First Samuel, um, and we're looking at First Samuel 12:24. so you can turn there if you would like, and um, our title for today is Faithful Where You Are. So um, I'm going to open in prayer and then we'll get started. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the beautiful weather. Thank you for each person that's here. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together all as one as a church. It just fills my heart. um, To to hear everyone uh, singing was just fantastic and fills my soul. And so I just say thank you. Thank you for today. I pray that you would be with us today. God, I pray that you would give me the words to say. And I pray that you would open each and every one of our hearts, God, including mine. Lord, I pray that you would help us to come to your word, um, not only for ourselves. God, today there might be something that someone needs to hear um, that might, might change their life. Um, but it's just as possible that the things that they hear today are, are reminders, or they're things that they are going to need. It's a truth that they're going to need down the road. Or it could be a truth that they're going to need to be able to teach somebody else that they're discipling so wherever we come at that today, God, I just pray that you would help us um, to learn from your word, God, and learn more about you, the creator of heaven and earth, in your name. Amen. So uh, sometimes you might ask yourself a question, and it might go like this, is like, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Because sometimes following Jesus, if we're honest, can feel a little bit overwhelming. And right? there's a sermon every week, and there's podcasts, and there's books, and there's articles, and there's just, sometimes it can feel like there's so much. Or you may say, you might say, man, I, Mark, I feel like I'm failing as a Christian. I don't really have a, a standard for it, but I just feel like I'm failing. Or, um, you know, Pastor Ben talked about this a couple weeks, so he's like, sometimes it's just really nice to have a standard. It's like a set of instructions where it's like, yes, this is where I need to get to. And um, the Bible, P.S., the Bible standard is really, really high. Um, but um, is I think what we're going to do today is, we can't answer all those big questions in a half hour or with one verse. Um, but this verse that I'm going to share with you, it, ha- it has a lot of good um, help in those areas. And so we're going to go there together. So let's read First Samuel twelve twenty-four. This is what it says. It says, Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. And the backstory to this passage is very interesting. Uh, Samuel, if you're, if you're in the passage, you can skim and read um, as I'm talking, but basically Samuel is giving his farewell speech to Israel. Israel has requested a king, and Samuel basically is telling them, hey, look, bad idea. This isn't gonna go good, but God has granted you a king, and so here you go. And so the only way that this is really gonna go well is if the king follows God, And if you guys follow God, otherwise this is going to end in disaster. And so this is where he gives them this advice to only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart for consider what great things he has done for you. And so we're going to take a look today at the second part of that verse. Um, I'm hoping, I think I'm on the schedule again sometime in August and we might come back actually and look at the first part because the fear of the Lord is something that we hear a lot in the Bible, but I don't think we always understand what it means. And so we might look at that. Later, But we're going to look at the second part, to serve him faithfully with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you.
1: And so what we're going to do today is
0: I'm going to um, tell you, remind you of four um, people from the Bible. And we're going to look at their lives, and then we're going to tie it all back um, to this verse. And so that's where we are going to go today. So the first person that we're going to look at is Daniel. And if you remember Daniel, Daniel was taken as a teenager, and he was taken captive by the Babylonians out of Israel, and he was taken to Babylon. And um, one of the things that was known about Daniel is when he got there, he's gonna be trained up to be a wise guy. Um, and, um, but they say, here, look, here's this, this meat that's been offered to idols. And he said, I can't do it, I'm not gonna eat it. And they're like, oh, you're gonna you're going to shrivel up and look awful and I'm gonna get killed. And he's like, don't worry, give me 30 days. And of course we see that he is healthier than the guys who are eating um, the meat given to idols. Another thing that we remember Daniel for is um, Nebuchadnezzar. One night, he has a dream, and it terrifies him. And so he calls all his wise guys in. For some reason, Daniel's not there, and uh, he calls them in and says, "Hey, can you tell me what this dream is?" And they're like, "Sure, we'll tell you what the dream means." And they're like, "No, like tell me what it is, and then tell me what it means." And they go, uh, "Well, this is awkward. I don't really know. I don't really know what what to do." And so he's quite mad, and he's the most powerful man on earth. So he decides to kill them all. And then um, we have this really interesting—I think it's quite an interesting—passage where the soldiers knock on Daniel's door. He's back, obviously, from wherever he was. And they knock on him and say, "Hey, we're here to kill you because none of the wise guys could tell um, tell King Neb the dream." And Daniel says, "Whoa, like just stop, chill. I'm going to tell you. Uh, I'll go before King Nebuchadnezzar, but it's not going to be me that tells the dream or what it means. It's going to be God." And so he goes and he, um, both God is faithful to him and he is faithful to God. And he, God not only gives him the dream, but what it means. And it's a dream about the future. And then so Daniel serves under King Nebuchadnezzar. And then eventually the Medes and the Persians, they take over. And now Daniel serves under the Medes and the Persians as well. And then we come to Daniel 6, verse 10. I'm just going to read it here for you. This is what it says. Now, when Daniel learned that the the decree had been published and the decree that had been published was that anybody that prayed to anybody other than the king would be thrown to the lion's den. And so we remember that about Daniel. And this decree was put in place because the other wise guys in um, Persia were so jealous of Daniel because God was with Daniel. And so they put this in to trap Daniel so that he would get thrown into the lion's den. And so after he learns this decree is published, he went up to his home, to his upstairs room where the windows were open to Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. And then of course, he's caught in this situation. And so they they throw him to the lion's den, but God shuts the the mouths of the lions. And um, Darius, the king, says look i know that there's no god Uh, there's no god like this that can do something like that and god was glorified in that situation the next person we're going to look at is martha um you guys remember martha martha's remember like her main thing that we remember her for that we always learn about in sunday school is she's she's known for choosing a good thing over a great thing right she's known for choosing to serve jesus rather than actually listen to jesus and so mary um her sister Mary and her they have Jesus over one day and um, Mary's just sitting listening to Jesus and Martha's running around doing all the cleaning and doing all the work and she says hey, like Jesus let tell Mary to help me like this is hard work and Jesus says actually what Mary's doing is right and um, what you're doing um, you're missing you're missing out and so that's what we're, what she's kind of known for but I want to re- remind you of this passage in John 11 21 through 27. It's a very interesting passage that we don't often think of when we think of Martha. And so the backstory to this passage is that the, uh, Mary, Martha's uh, brother, Lazarus has died. And so Jesus was coming, but he doesn't get there in time. And Martha and Jesus have this interaction. It says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who is to come into the world. And what an amazing statement for Martha to make. What she said right at the end there was something that not many people in the Bible got. Even as you read the Gospels, you see the disciples bumbling around, not really always understanding what's going on, even though they're with Jesus. And yet here we've got Martha, who at one point was too busy to listen to Jesus. And now she understands that he's the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. The third person I want to remind you of today is Jeremiah. You can look at Jeremiah chapter 1 if you want. Um, Jeremiah chapter 1, 4 through 8. This is what it says. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go where I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. And we'll rescue you, declares the Lord. And so in this um, story with Jeremiah here, right? God comes to this young man, Jeremiah, and he asks him, and says, look, I'm going to, I want to, you to say some things to the kings of Israel. I have a message for you. And um, Jeremiah says, I'm too young. I can't do it. And God says, don't tell me you're too young, right? I'm going to send you and I'm going to protect you. So trust me. And so Jeremiah does. And Jeremiah is actually, he's a faithful prophet to I think it's five different kings. And he comes with the messages, it's a very similar message, right? You recognize this refrain from the Old Testament, right? That The people constantly wandered away. They wandered out of obedience. And so God would send these prophets to, to, to try to bring them back into obedience. And Jeremiah's message was if you guys don't um, obey, if you don't love the Lord, then there's gonna be disaster that's gonna be sent from the north. And so he brings this message to king after king and place after place. And, but eventually Jeremiah actually lives to see um, the disaster take place when the Babylonians come and they invade Israel. The last person that I want to remind you of is um, someone that doesn't even have a, have a name. Her name is the young girl in the Bible from 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 2 through 3. And this is what it says. Now the band of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And so we see in this story that this, this band of raiders had gone out from Aram, right? an enemy of Israel, Aram is Syria. And they had gone out and they had taken captive this young girl um, from Israel. Now she's serving Naaman's wife. And Naaman is the commander of the army of Aram. And um, Naaman had this problem. He had leprosy. And we know leprosy is a, it's a very difficult um, disease, especially back then. And so um, it was not a nice disease. And so this young girl goes to her mistress and says, Hey, look, Naaman should go to see the prophet Elisha. And he would be cured of his leprosy. So what does Naaman do? Um, he goes and goes to the king of Israel. He doesn't go to the prophet. He shows up to the king because that's where important stuff happens, right? And the king, it's, he has this hilarious response and he says, like, what are you doing? Like, is this a trick? Are you trying to, like, make, make it look like I don't know what I'm doing and then you're going to attack me because you said I didn't cure you of leprosy? I can't cure you of leprosy. I'm not God. Why, why did you come here? And so eventually they send him, they get him, to, they get him to Elisha and Elisha's great because he doesn't even go out himself. He sends a messenger to go out and talk to Naaman and now Naaman's just rattled. And he says, You got to go wash in the Jordan seven times. He says, Dude, that river's gross. We got way nicer. We got way nicer rivers back, back in my home country. And eventually his servants, they, they convince him, they say, Hey, just, just wash. Just do what he says and wash in the Jordan River. And so he did. He washes in the Jordan River and he is cured of his leprosy. And so for each of these people, um, they were, they were faithful to God in a different way. Let's look at some some different ways. Um, let's first look at their age. Do you know how old Daniel was when he was thrown to the lions? He was in his low 80s. Most people, when they think of Daniel, they think of the children's storybooks where um, Daniel's like this middle-aged dude, like petting lions and eating pizza and that sort of stuff. Um, but the reality is that Daniel was a senior right? Daniel was in his low 80s. We we can figure this out because we actually have a lot of textual evidence. I'm not going to go through it all with you, but here's the basic. We know that Daniel was a young man when he came out um, of Israel. He was probably about 15. So just say he's 15. And then we know when Nebuchadnezzar started to reign because it says actually in the first year he attacked Jerusalem, I believe. And then um, so we know how long he reigned. And then we know the short span that Belshazzar reigned. And then we know the span that the Medes and the Persians reigned. And I think it was about 66 years. So if you bring that sixty-six years and say he's fifteen, then all of a sudden you're you're in your low eighties there, and so that's how we know that that's where Daniel. Was. So Daniel was faithful to God um, in his eighties. Martha, um, we don't. I don't think we know. I I searched. If you know, tell me. Um, I, we couldn't find her exact age, but she seems to be this um, sort of middle-aged woman. She's living with her sister. She doesn't seem to be really young, but not um, not in her. Um, later years. And so she's this this middle aged woman. And Jeremiah, we know from the text, he says, I'm young. Most scholars believe that Jeremiah was about 16 or 17 years old. Um, Some of you might be around that age today. And the last um, and some of you might have a few more years on that. Uh, The last girl today, um, again, we don't know much about her. But it says the young girl. And so that means she was really little, right? Because when the Bible says she's little, to us, that means she's really little, right? Because in the Bible, in ancient Israel, people are, the girls are getting married at like 12, 14 years old, right? Like they, now they're a grown woman. So if that's grown woman, and this is a little girl. We know she was quite young. So think like six, eight, 10. I don't know the exact age, but she was little. So what were their circumstances? Where were they at? David, um, David, Daniel lived almost his entire life in captivity away from the land that God had promised to his people. And he suffered the consequences of something that most likely he had nothing to do with. Right? We know that Daniel was a very faithful man. And the reason that he was in captivity was not because of his unfaithfulness, but the unfaithfulness of the people around him. It's a very difficult circumstance to suffer for somebody else's sin. Um, how about Martha? Martha, she, was a, she sort of seems like this, this everyday person. Living in Israel, maybe that's where you can identify. You just feel like you're an everyday person living here in Muskoka. Jeremiah was a teenager right, who had a special call on his life. He was chosen by God to stand up to kings and priests and nations. And the young girl, um, she was most likely poor when she started out. right? And now most likely, um, she was an orphan and living as a slave, as a little, little girl. And so how did they live for God where they were placed? Let's talk about this. Daniel lived his life faithful to God, even when most of the Israelites believed that God had abandoned them, right? You remember they were in captivity for a long time. And so most people, they weren't even following God to begin with. So do you think they were gonna follow God in captivity? No, right? And so they believed that God had abandoned them and given up on them and that God was gone. Um, But Daniel knew and stayed faithful and true to God. And one of the things that I find amazing about Daniel, he's a very interesting character. I think he's one of the best examples of faithfulness. Because when you look at Daniel, so these, the wise guys from um, Medo-Persia, they were trying to um, figure out, they they needed to get some dirt on him, right? Because they wanted to get him out. The only dirt that they could find on this 80-year-old man from his whole entire life was that the man prayed too much. Like, that's amazing, right? I want my life to be like that one day, that if people try to go find dirt on me, they got nothing. The only thing that God is that I pray too much. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Daniel was so, so faithful to God. And Daniel's faithfulness was found in his discipline, right? And his faith and his understanding of who was ultimately in control of the world, even though the circumstances around him weren't great. And he was, he was in this spot, not even because of his own doing, and yet he stayed faithful to God. Martha was called out by Jesus, right? She got called out pretty good, right? Because she said, hey, Mary, you've got to do some work. And Jesus said, no, you're actually, you're actually the one in the wrong, right? And, but what's interesting about Martha that we don't often talk about, because normally in Sunday school we teach to don't be like Martha, right? But I think there's actually something very interesting that we can learn from Martha, and that's that Martha's faithfulness was found in her decision to allow Jesus to change her. Right? Because she goes from someone who's being too busy for Jesus to being one of the few people who saw Jesus for who he truly was. Right, Remember at the end where she says, "Like I know that you're the son of God. I know that you're the Messiah, the one that was sent. And she, so she went from somebody who was too busy to look and to listen to someone who got called out and then decided, hey, look, I'm going to change. And she started to watch and she started to get to know who Jesus really was. And so she was one of the people that got to see Um, that's the son of God. That's an amazing, amazing thing. How about Jeremiah? Jeremiah lived a faithful to God, despite living a, a life of hardship and a life of pain, right? That's what God's call to him really was. Because if you think about his life, what was his call? His call was to go and to tell everybody that they were wrong and that God was going to bring disaster. And that's a hard thing, right? Because it's not like when Jeremiah went to everybody, all of a sudden they're like, "Oh yeah, you're right. We should really change," and then everyone just changed and they were good. Is that human nature? No. Does that have, does that just change? Just getting called out, um, we don't always respond great um, to that. And so Jeremiah um, endured this life of pain, where it's king after king after king, right, where he's he's going and trying to warn the people about what God was um, going to do and trying to bring them back into repentance and to bring them back into obedience and yet they, they wouldn't listen. And lastly, the young girl. The young girl, um, as we talked about, was most likely poor um, and she was most likely an orphan, living as a slave to the wife of the man who killed her family. Did you connect those dots? Because the raiders that went out from Aram would have been sent by Naaman and yet she decided to purpose in her heart to forgive him so the most likely scenario right if we're we're talking about scenarios the most likely scenario we don't know this for sure the most likely scenario is that the the raiders went out they killed her family and they brought her back as a slave that's the most likely scenario if you're feeling really good and you're feeling like a glass three-quarters full person today you can feel that they went out and they captured her family and they're all enslaved. So if, that, if you're feeling that way today, then that, that is something that you could deal with. But the best, the best case scenario is that this man has enslaved her entire family. And the most likely scenario is that he has killed her entire family and enslaved her. And she's like six, eight years old. And that's why I think out of all the people who are faithful to God, um, this young girl might be one of the most remarkable because she positions her heart in a state of forgiveness that we rarely see in anyone and I rarely see in myself. the atrocities committed against her just in that alone let alone whatever happened to her on the way let alone what happened to her in her captivity were most likely immense and yet she was willing to help the man who would have been ultimately responsible for the death of her family and her life as a slave well that doesn't just happen right she chose forgiveness and she positioned her heart in a state a forgiveness to be faithful to god so that when the opportunity arose to be faithful to god and to bring glory to him she chose it above her pain from someone who i almost guarantee you did not ask her for that forgiveness right so often we can say man well they didn't even ask for my forgiveness they're not even sorry that's not her job right and that's not what she does she positions her heart um to be able to forgive even though he didn't ask for it. And that brought immense glory to God because as he was cleansed from his leprosy, he saw that there was a God in Israel. And so what can we learn from all these people and their faithfulness? Would it be good for us to learn and try to emulate the faithfulness of Daniel and Martha and Jeremiah and the young girl? Absolutely. Um, But if that's the primary thing that we take away from today, we're sort of leaving the proverbial bone, uh, meat on the bone, right? We're kind of like that person, you've all done this, we go to an expensive buffet, and they always put that first table up there with all the filler, all the cheap filler, just trying to trap you, right? And so, but then you you always see this, I always see at least one person that gets trapped by that, right? And they're going and their first plate is piled high with bread and all this cheap stuff that's filling in, it keeps them from getting to the good stuff, right? And we don't want to be like that when we read God's word, we don't want to get trapped by the secondary stuff it's okay but there's better stuff out there and that's what we want to look at um when we read God's word and what we want to look at today right because I want you to learn today that God's primary goal is not to make you like Daniel or Martha or Jeremiah or even the young girl that's not why God wrote the Bible God's primary goal is that you would be saved by him and that you would know him and be like him that's his goal and so Daniel is in the Bible that we would see the faithfulness of God more than the faithfulness of Daniel. The book of Daniel is in the Bible so that we would see the sovereignty of God over the most powerful, over the most powerful nations on earth. The book of Daniel is in the Bible so that we would see the faithfulness of God to his people, even as he disciplines them for being unfaithful to himself. The book of Daniel describes for us a God who is awesome in power and in absolute control of everything. And that should instill a tremendous, tremendous confidence in us. Martha's in the Bible not primarily so that we can say, oh, don't be like Martha, or you really should be like Martha. Martha's in the Bible simply as someone whose life was changed by her encounter with the living God. We see Jesus demonstrate his kindness and his patience with Martha. We see him demonstrate his compassion and love when he raised her brother from the dead. We primarily learn about Jesus through his interactions with Martha. And so our goal is not to just learn about Martha. That's the secondary thing. The primary thing is, what can we learn about God? Jeremiah is in the Bible not primarily so that we can be like Jeremiah. Jeremiah is in the Bible to demonstrate the holiness of God. And the trustworthiness of his word. The book of Jeremiah teaches us that there's a God who loves us so much that he will not leave us in our sin or rebellion, but he comes after us, even if it means discipline, even if it means hardship for his own people, the people that he loves. The book of Jeremiah demonstrates a God who showed his unmatched patience over and over and over again. You'd think God would have given up after like one or two kings. I, I, it was five kings. That Jeremiah would bring this message over and over and over again. And yet God showed his immense, immense patience. Not wanting to bring disaster on his people. He just wanted them to repent. What an amazing thing that we can see and learn about God. And finally, the young girl is in the Bible. Isn't in the Bible primarily so that we can learn about her. No matter how moving or powerful story it is. Rather, she's in the Bible to demonstrate small part that we can play and the privilege of having watching God move in miraculous ways for ordinary people who are faithful to him despite our circumstances, despite our pain right, despite our hurt God used her faithfulness to bring glory to his name all because she was willing to forgive someone who didn't deserve forgiveness let alone kindness Naaman didn't deserve her love but even more than that, he didn't deserve the love and the compassion of God. And yet God showed it to him anyways. So you can see there's, there's things that we can learn from these people. But the greater truth that we can learn is about who God is. And I want you to think back to our verse, right? Serve him faithfully with all your heart. For remember what great things he has done for you. Remembering the things that he has done for us shows us who he is because what God does is a demonstration of who he is. And so when we remember the things he's done for us and we know about who he is, that is what in turn allows us to serve him faithfully. So here's kind of what it comes down to. We need to know God and that's the thing that's going to cause us to live for God. Okay. And I want to give you a couple examples of this because there's a couple of realities I just wanna show you about knowing God through his word. So let's look at the first one. He says, look at this, you need to read the Bible to know God first and follow him second, right? So often we struggle to follow God because we miss the first point, right? A lot of us can say like, yeah, like I'm struggling to follow God right now. But here's why, knowing who God is, is the confidence and the assurance and the motivation it takes to follow God. I'll give you an example from our text. Daniel didn't get thrown into the lion's den at 80 years old because his parents told him praying was just a good thing for him or his pastor told him praying was a good thing for him or the Bible told him that praying was a good thing for him, right? When you just get told by somebody else, hey, look, this is good for you, even though it's true, that's not going to be enough when things are hard. And if we're honest, even when things get busy, which aren't even hard, just busy, so that when the rubber hits the road, we don't even do the things that we know are good for us. And so Daniel, at 80, didn't get thrown into the lion's den because somebody else told him that it was good for him to, to pray to God. And it was just like this thing. He's like, yeah, I guess I just do this. He, he knew the decree that happened, and he went and he prayed to God anyways because he knew God. That's why it was worth the risk to him because then he knew the God that he was praying to, and he wasn't willing to give it up. And he knew that he had a God that he was praying to, that it was in control of everything. And he had experienced God in his life over and over and over again, because he was faithful to him, because he knew him. And that's why he had the confidence to go and to pray, to know he would get caught, and to get thrown to those lions, because either it was gonna happen two ways. Either it was gonna be, hey God, we were just we were just talking, right, as he got killed by lions. Or the second option was that God was glorified as he saved him. So either option was awesome to him because he knew God. And here's the second thing. Knowing God takes work, but it's worth it. And God wants you to get to know him on your own and with others. But a lot of us struggle with that first part, right? We can be good at learning from others but do we know God ourselves, right? So can you learn from others? Sure. I, I hope you're learning something today, right? I, I counted a tremendous blessing to have the opportunity to be up here and to, to teach and to remind as God is teaching me and reminding me of things. Or like those devotionals that I sent you during COVID or daily breads that we hand out or emails that you get for John Piper or whatever it is, right? Those are not bad things, but they cannot replace you, yourself, learning your Bible, getting to know God, doing what we just did today. Looking at a passage and saying, what can I learn about God? And then second, what can I learn about how to follow him? Right? So the biggest thing standing away from knowing God um, isn't your intelligence, because there are people here that are willing to help with things that are hard. But you can know so much of God all on your own. You don't need me. You don't need your small group leader. You don't need Pastor Ben. God's calling you to do it. And if you've only ever your whole life learned from somebody else, if you've only ever learned from pastors or podcasts or devotionals, you're missing out on so much of what God wants for your life by just hearing you're you're learning about what somebody else knows about God, not what you know about God. We got to do both together. And that makes when we're, when we're learning about God and then we come together in small group or we come together in church or we meet in Home Depot, that's where it just it, it gets so much better because now I'm learning from God and you're learning from God and now together we have learn two things about God when we share. And that's the beauty of gathering together and knowing more about the Lord and doing that together. But we can't just know God. A.W. Tozer once said, you can be straight as a gun barrel theologically. Right, what you know about God, the theology is knowing about God, I mean, just as empty spiritually. You actually need to live for God. If we only live and we never seek God, we're not going to have any guidance or direction. We're just kind of wandering around and we, we don't really know how to, where to go. But if we only ever know God and we never live for God, then you will never actually experience God. He's going to feel like your church's God, or your pastor's God, or your friend's God, or your parent's God, or your spouse's God. Instead of the God that you know, like Daniel did. So I can identify with each of these people that we talked about, and I hope that you can as well. Right? Not all to the same extent, um, but we can see that it's in the difficulty and being faithful to God, that's where we actually experience God. We experience His truth and we know that He's real. And we know that what He's calling us to is worth it. Right? I've experienced following God instead of my authorities. You can think back to even teachers in high school and secular university and some of the things that you guys know, some of you who are in school right now. right? You know that some of the stuff that they're teaching you isn't right. So navigating that is hard. It's hard. As i navigated through that I found God to be very faithful and I can I think like many of us can identify with Martha right being called out by God for having good priorities rather than great priorities and it's a hard it's a humbling experience to be shown that you are wrong but I found when you follow God's advice you experience his faithfulness and I've experienced like Jeremiah feeling unprepared or inadequate to be used by God because I'm young, and yet God has proven himself faithful. Not because I'm great, but because God's great. And I've experienced, like the young girl, having to forgive very painful experiences, even when forgiveness from the other side wasn't sought. And yet in all that pain, it was in being faithful to God, that I saw and experienced his faithfulness to me. And so part of what we can learn in those minutes, when we are faithful to God, we actually learn more about God. Because in, the, in those experiences of giving this painful forgiveness, even when they're not seeking it, you learn something just to get a little glimpse of the heart of God. As, as, as we, and there's other people that he loves, and yet they are his enemies, and they're not seeking forgiveness, and yet he loves them. And so you, you get this little glimpse of how God must feel. And you learn a little more about him in doing what he's called you to do. And so what did we learn about God today? From just four people, we learned a lot. We learn that God is faithful, and God is sovereign, and loving, and compassionate, and holy, and kind, and full of grace. He's unchanging, and because of that, his promises are unchanging, and he's all-knowing, and he's a God of forgiveness, and he's willing to do things, even for his enemies, um, that um, they would know his goodness and his glory. And So we're going to, on that note, we're going to move into communion, so you can grab your communion cup. because I think that fits perfect as we move into it here. That he's a God of forgiveness and willing to do things even for his his enemies, that they would know his glory and his goodness. See, because I think that we can remember that in our own story, right? That God forgave us and he saved us even though we had no right to be saved. We were dead in our sin, enemies of God. And yet he not only forgave us, but he desired to be with us forever. And so he sent his son to die in our place, to come back to life in order that we could be with him forever. And that's what we remember today, all together, which is a beautiful thing. We remember the faithfulness of God, even though we were not faithful. Even when we fail to be faithful where we are, God is always faithful to us. So we can remember that, right? We know that. We know that at communion, right? We we, we remember this, use this time to confess and say, God, so often, even this week, I have strayed. That even after he saved me, he remains faithful to me, even when I'm not faithful to him. I'm just so grateful for that. Right? And it's his sacrifice that should motivate us to be faithful where he's placed us. So today, we want to remember the sacrifice of the creator of the universe. So I'm going to pray for both of them, and then we're going to take them one at a time all together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died in my place. Thank you that you were willing to say, in the garden, your will be done, my God and Father. Lord, you did that for me when I did not deserve it. And I am so thankful. Lord, I want to thank you for your blood that shed on the cross for me. and I want to thank you for your body, God, which was broken. God, for me that I could be with you. Even though I didn't deserve it, I still don't deserve it. It's only because you're good. It's only because you're faithful. I pray that you would help me. Lord, in all these things, God, to know you, to be faithful to you. Um, In Philippians, you tell us to to live a life worthy of the gospel. What an impossible task. And yet I'm so grateful um, for that gospel, for that truth, for that good news, that you died, you broke your body, and you shed your blood for me. Lord, we thank you for that we remember you today in your name. Amen. So you can take the first layer off and grab the bread. Before you take, I just want you to take a second and think about that um, confession time. As, or as you're eating that, just think about something that you have strayed and yet God is faithful. I'll ask him to forgive you and thank him for what he's done for you. Let's take it together. Can peel off that second layer. We remember the blood of the creator of the universe, who had done nothing wrong, is perfect and holy in every way, the complete opposite of me. And yet he took my place, the punishment, and the death that I deserved, so that I could have life, because he is life. So let's remember let's remember him together. And Lord, I thank you for today. I won't stop thank you for the chance to gather all together. God, it feels so good to be with the church. Lord, we love the church. I love this church. God, what a special, special group of people. I'm so grateful for them. and so grateful to have the chance to worship I'm with them. God, and to study your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help us to read the Bible, first and foremost, to know more about you. God, and then second, that we would know how to follow you. God, we want to follow you. It's good. But we need your help. God, we need your motivation. We fail if it's not for you. We fail if it's just the right thing to do. We desperately need you. We want to follow you with everything that we are. God, I pray that this church would be a blinding light in Gravenhurst and in the community, in the scope God. I pray that people would come to know you, that the relationships would be deepened in you as we gather in community, God, together. I pray that you would encourage this church for all that you have been doing. I'm so grateful for them. I pray that you would encourage them to keep going God, and to be encouraged by being challenged too are the things that we need to grow in and improve in God because we want to know you more because that's going to be heaven is being with you knowing you so we want to know you here on earth that you are so good we love you so much in your name amen thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio for more resources or to connect with us visit calvarygravenhurst.com